so 2,000 years BC, you have all this stuff going on with this guy called Abraham. Now, Abraham is described in different ways in the Bible. They'll describe him as a friend of God. He was called a righteous man. He was also historically very hospitable. So a, a rescuing warrior. But he's also described in some biblical literature as an unconscionable liar. One of the things, there are many things, but I just want to talk about somebody in the Bible who is quite a uh, important historical character. We've been looking the last little while at David and how David uh, brought the presence of God back into his nation, his country and to his life and uh, to his palace and all that stuff. And then we looked last week at, at what happens when you actually stop pursuing the presence of God intentionally. Now, when we have the presence of God in our lives, you got to ask yourself a question. Why is he there? Why do we have the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life in the first place? It's, it can't just be so that I can sit around and navel gaze and get goosebumps and, and feel warm fuzzies and, and all that type of stuff. There's got to be some action component to it because God's very nature is an action God. That's what he does. He's a God who is always active and moving forward with humanity. So when the Holy Spirit is in our lives, he is there for a reason. Now then, this historical figure that I want us to look at is a man turns up in Genesis chapter 12, slightly before that really, the end of chapter 11. But Genesis chapter 12, and this is what it says about him. It says his name is Abraham. He has a name change later on to Abraham. And he's quite an interesting character. He really is. He's he's one of the one of the people that, that we read about first um, in the Bible that, that, that says, "Hey, road trip. Let's go somewhere. Uh, we're on a journey. We're we're going to be doing something. We're 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 planning this massive road trip." Um, and he's he's one of the first people to do that in the in the Bible as we read it. He's also a person that turns up in all the Judaisms. Because there's not just one Judaism, there's Judaisms. And he also turns up in Christianity as a, as a father of our faith, father of Judaisms. And he's also the father of the Islamic faith as well. So, so you look, look at that and you think, okay, so this, this, this is a historic character that we actually don't really know much about. He just turns up as a, as a full-blown adult. Um, and he's the first person in the Bible called a Hebrew. We don't even know really, can 
nail it down with massive certainty where that term comes from. But it, it's applied to him first uh, before anybody else. And then all his descendants are, are Hebrews after that. So this man says these great words. Road trip. Who who doesn't like a road trip? I love them. I love driving. Uh, I love everything about driving. I've never actually got over the, the first thrill of being in a car on my own and being allowed to drive. Now, I know a lot of people see driving as just a means to an end to get from one place to another. I don't. I just love the experience of driving. It's just good fun. And, and it never gets old for me. I just, I just really like it. So Abraham says these words, road trip. Now, I said before that we don't historically know too much about Abraham. And at one time, Bible scholars actually thought that Abraham was just um, a symbolic figure to represent a nation. But in 1922 to 1940s, a bunch of people did some excavation of a historical archaeological site called the Palace of Mari. And in that archaeological dig, they found these stone tablets. And on those stone tablets was written references to the Hebrews as a group of people. And also there was written references to Banu Yamana, Banu Yamana, um, and that that is the Benjamites, sons of the right, sons of my right hand, and and all of this is written down on these on these stone tablets, which gives a a, a, a good solid, tangible, touchable reference to these biblical figures that, that some people just thought were mythical figures who were there for illustration purposes only. Now there's thousands of these stone tablets in the palace of Mari and, and they, they give a lot of historical background. There's extra biblical information that puts all the biblical information into context. So 2000 years BC, you have all this stuff going on with this guy called Abraham. Now, Abraham is described in different ways in the Bible. And if you read the different Bible scholars, they will also describe him in different ways. They'll describe him as a friend of God. That's a, that's a phrase that you often hear associated with Abraham in the same way that you hear um, David was a, a man after God's own heart. Abraham would be called a friend of God. He was called a righteous man. Um, he was also historically very hospitable. Um, so when people came to visit, he, he gave them feasts. He, he killed fatted calves. He fed them. He baked bread for them. Uh, and, he, and he gave them food and made sure that they were looked after and protected. He was also a, a rescuing warrior. Um, when he, when he went, went off and he, and he rescued people who were kidnapped by their enemies. Um, and, and he did all that stuff. So he's a brave guy, but he's also described in some biblical literature as an unconscionable liar because of his actions regarding his wife. 
Now, all that goes to show that this man Abraham, although he's deeply spiritual in his nature, he has all the human flaws and weaknesses that, that we associate with being a normal human being. This guy does not glow in the dark. This guy puts his trousers on one leg at a time like everybody else. He doesn't float and, and levitate into them. You know, th this is a normal human being. So he has this spiritual side, but he also has these, these deep uh, human weaknesses that are a part of his nature. And I love that because most of the people that I meet, whether they're involved in church or not, have a, have a deep spiritual yearning in them and a deep spiritual part of their nature, but, the, but they're also, and, and we're all afflicted with, with the weaknesses of being human beings. And that's exactly what this guy was. And then God speaks to him. Now, he, he doesn't wait for him to become perfect before he speaks to him. God has this conversation with him in Genesis chapter 12. Now, I don't know what a conversation with God looks like, and I don't know whether he just felt it inside, uh, in, in the place that knows things. As you often heard me talk about, um, he knew it inside. He knew in the part of him that knows. I know in my knower that this is what God wants me to do. And so, I don't know if that's happened or if God spoke to him in an audible voice. I really actually don't know which, which way around that happened. But it says that he has this conversation with God in Genesis chapter 12. And the conversation goes like this. Basically, God says to him, I want you to leave your home and the place of your ancestors and I want you to go to a place where I am going to give you the land that you will visit. And that's what he does. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I think that's rather strange. And here's the reason why I think it is strange. And this is basically what God says to him. I'm going to pull over here because I want to I actually read this to you because it's, it's sort of important, I think, to get this right. Okay? So let me pull up and park. Let me read this to you because I think it's quite fascinating. All right? So you have this part where it says, God says to this guy, Abram, the Lord said to Abraham, see, I'm not lying. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, leave your native country, leave your relatives, leave your father's family. That's, that's sort of like specific, isn't it? Uh, leave your native country, leave your relatives, and leave your father's family. They're not leaving this to any um, misinterpretation at all. They, they actually expect him to do this. This is what God expects him to do. Leave your native country, leave your relatives, leave your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. Dum, dum, dum. And you will be blessing, a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and those that treat you with contempt will be cursed. All the families on the earth will be blessed 
through you. And that's, that's what God says to him. Now, you might think, well, well, okay, well, 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 that's a great thing to have said to you. Yeah, but for me, it raises all these different questions. The first one of which is this. How does he explain this to his wife? Like, how does he go home and say, uh, excuse me, Mrs. Abram. Um, her name's Sarah. I know that. Excuse me, Sarah. I um, had this conversation with God and he's told us to leave everything that we've got and to go on this journey. Um, you can imagine the question, where to? What shall I pack? W what clothes will I need? How long are we going to be traveling? He doesn't know the answer to any of those questions. He doesn't exactly know the destination. He doesn't really know how long it's going to take to get there. So when people start asking him, are we there yet? Are we there yet? His honest answer is, I actually don't know. You see, the journey actually breaks down into two parts. It's a fascinating story, especially when you think of it in the times 2,000 years before Jesus. This was not a case of, hey, let's just throw everything in the back of the minivan and go. We got a tank of gas. We got a cooler. Woohoo! Let's go. This is a massive undertaking. The journey breaks down into two sections, like I said, one of about 8,000 kilometers and one about 5,000 kilometers. So it's about 12,000, 13,000 kilometers as the crow flies. I don't know why we say that as the crow flies, because most crows don't fly in a straight direction. Actually, they go all over the place. They get distracted. Um, but as the crow flies, it's around, it's over 12,000 kilometers. It's a long way now. It was a massive diff distance. It's like traveling to the other side of the world for people in, in their time when this actually happened. And he can't answer the basic questions. How long is it going to take? Where are we going? What clothes do I pack? What the weather's going to be like? What currency do we need? Now, I've, I've, I have some questions for us to consider, for me to ask you as well. Because these are the questions that pop into my mind. Does he already have land? And the answer to that is a big yes. He's already a wealthy landowner. Um, so is he already blessed? <laughs> yes, he is. Is he already a favoured person that everybody knows? Yes, he is. And yet God comes along and says to him, basically asks him this simple question. Do you want what you've got? Or do you want what I have for you? <laughs> and when you when you boil the conversation down between Abraham and God, that's what it actually comes to. Do you want what you've already got? Or do you want what I have for you? That's what God says to Abraham. Because he's already got land. Now, now let me let me read to you that the, the I, how I know this 
is because it actually tells you in the text. Now, now listen, this, this is what it says. Took his wife, Sarah, Sarai, at this point, she changed her name too, from Sarai to Sarah. He changed his name from Abram to Abraham. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew, Lot, and all his wealth, all his livestock, and all the people that he had taken into his household and headed to the land of Canaan. So he's already got all this stuff. Like I said, it's not a lack of stuff we're talking about. It's, do you want what you've got or do you want what God has for you? I want that, I want that to, to just go round and round in our minds. Do, do I want what I already have or do I want what God has for me? Now, Abraham is a journeyer in this story. And lots of people in the Bible are journeyers. And God is, is a person who takes people on journeys. And, and if we choose to follow God, he doesn't leave us where we are. He takes us on sometimes physical journeys, but he also takes us on spiritual journeys uh, through different things. Now, if you fast forward and jump with me again, all the way from the Old Testament to the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 4, you actually come across a similar set of circumstances. Jesus, I'm going to read it to you because it's important that I get it right. And you need to know this is not just an anecdote. It's actually out of the Bible, right? Um, we don't want anecdotes. We, we want stuff from the Bible. This is what it says. One day, chapter four of Ma Matthew, verse 18. This is what it says. One day, Jesus was walking, walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee and he saw two brothers. Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew. So Peter and Andrew, they were throwing the nets into the water, for they were fishermen. Jesus called out to them, come and follow me, and I will make show you how to fish for people. We often say that, and I will make you fishers of men. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little further up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in the boat with their father repairing their nets, and he called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. Now, I want to ask you, when Jesus walks along the seashore and he, and he calls these four guys, did they already have something to do? The answer is yes. Did they have a family? Yes. Did they have a family business? Yes. Um, were, were they successful at it? Well, sometimes they weren't the greatest fishermen in the world, but they were making a living. They obviously had family boats, so it was working for them. So when you look at all that, it, it's not like these guys were sitting down twiddling their thumbs with nothing to do. These these were all guys who had stuff going on in their life. And, and it's like Jesus comes up to them and says, hey, come and follow me. And it's a, it's a similar inferred question. Do you want what you already have or do you want what I have for you? And they looked at what they already have, the boats and the family business and all that stuff. And they looked at this man, Jesus, walking along, who, who was this rabbi, a radical teacher and radical rabbi. And, and they come along and they say, um, yeah, uh, we, we already have this, but he's offering us this. And they get up and follow him. Now, what Abraham was doing 
There was nothing wrong with what he was doing. He, he wasn't evil. Um, what these guys were doing, there was nothing wrong with what they were doing. They were fishermen. Nothing they were doing was evil. I, but God presents them with a choice. Do you want this normalcy or do you want what I have for you? Abraham gets this question inferred to him. So do these disciples. And so do we. Do I want what I already have? Or do I want what God has for me? Man, that's a great question. That one could keep you up at night. And that's why I said, here's the thing. This is one of the great questions of Christianity. This is one of the great questions of following God. This is one of the great questions about wanting the presence of God in my life and in my work and in my household and in my marriage. What will the presence of God change? Because he may just change everything. Do you want what you already have? Or do you want what God has for you? <laughs> what a thought. Now, we're going to be looking at some different people over the next few weeks who are faced with that same question and have to make the choice whether they're going to follow God on this journey or not. And I have to follow God on this journey and have to make the choice to follow him on the journey he's leading me every single day. I don't just look back to the day that I decided to follow Jesus the first time. I have to revisit that decision all the time. And that's what's so exciting. Because he keeps asking me exactly the same question that he asked in Genesis chapter 12, that he asked the disciples in Matthew chapter 4, at Luke 8, and, and all these different places. Do you want what you already have got? Or do you want what God has for you? Hey, bless you. Thanks for listening. And uh, see you soon. So God, as we step into an uncertain future, we just want to say out loud that we need you. For the dark nights ahead and the dry deserts, the deep valleys, for the shattered dreams and the broken promises. You see what we can't see, and you know what we can't know, and you heal what we can't heal. And so God, we need you. We need you to walk with us, we need you to guide us, and we need you to carry us. And so we forsake a thousand lesser options and a thousand lesser saviors, and we sing to you and you alone and we look to you and you alone, and we run to you and you alone. And so we join with a choir of saints and angels all throughout the earth and all throughout every generation, and we worship you and you alone, Jesus. We don't know what tomorrow is gonna look like, but we know about eternity, and it's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you, and so we worship. We worship.
Nothing but the blood of Jesus This is all my righteousness Nothing but the blood of Jesus Glory, glory, this I see Nothing but the blood of Jesus All my praise for this I bring Nothing but the blood